How are we feeling tonight, everybody? We feeling good? Yes. yes. No, almost. You almost had it. There is a yellow light on it. Oh, there's a mute button. Hello. That'll do. Okay, you can barely read mute on this microphone. It's not my fault. Okay, whatever. It is a terrible light. I blame the microphone. Um, well, hey, everybody. We're going to talk about what we're going to get into tonight in a second, but I have a story. I'm going to start with a story. Man, you are already out of my talk. He's already done. He's got up. Tony doesn't have it tonight. I'm leaving. Um, so here's my stories. Um, just kidding. Remember when the speaker condemned that kid? Right, XL went off the rails. Um, so, so here's my story. Um, it's going to set us up for where we're headed tonight. Um, I was a freshman when I. Here's the, I don't really know when my heart was regenerated to know the Lord, but uh, um, but I think it was around my freshman year uh, in high school. I called myself a Christian before that. I didn't grow up in a Christian family. Uh, my parents divorced when I was four. My dad was an alcoholic. Came to know the Lord later on in life uh, and actually brought me to the Lord, which is a neat story. Um, but, but in high school, I, I would call my, or freshman, I would call myself a Christian. I don't think I got grace. I don't really think I got it. So I went on this trip, right? It was a classic youth. Who's been on like the youth group, like all youth group summer trip, right? The whole, like everybody's going to like Florida or something. No one, okay. Um, it's going to be hard to connect with the story. Um, so I went, my youth group went, like, everybody down to Florida. By the way, I love that there was somebody back here who raised their hand and realized nobody else had gone on that cool trip. It's like, oh, maybe I wasn't supposed to go on that trip. Um, so, so I went on this big Florida trip, and there was this, this big bus that went down. There were, like, 70 high school kids. And we went to this big, huge conference, right? Um, and it was at this conference that... Um, we went from St. Louis to Florida, so it's like a pretty long drive. And it was at this conference, and I think for the first time in my spiritual life, uh, that I really got grace. I really like understood what Jesus did for me. And I remember, I don't remember who the speaker was, I don't remember what he said, but I remember him showing a clip. Uh, back then it was before the Passion of the Christ movie was out, but it was just a clip of, of depicting Jesus on the cross. And I remember standing up and being like, oh my goodness, like Jesus died for me. And it just really, really impacted me. And I stood up and I felt different. I felt something change in my heart. Not that it happens for everybody, but it, but it did for me. And I, I just felt different. And I, I remember thinking, I'm going to go home and things are just going to be different in my life. I'm going to, there's going to be change. I'm not going to do these things anymore. And like, I am so pumped. It was the first time in my life I was like, I am so pumped and so just amped to live for Jesus. So I get on the bus to come home. And I'm pumped. I'm sitting at the back of the bus. I still remember. It was the second from last row. I'm sitting there. I'm like, all right, cool. Who am I going to sit by? We're going to talk about Jesus all the way home. It's going to be awesome. And then a girl sits next to me. Now, I want to make sure I frame this right. The story's going to make it sound like it's like, and girls are the downside of my Christian faith. No, what's that? That's not it at all. But in this situation, uh, I'm not like, girls, bad. That's not what I'm saying. But in this situation, this girl sits next to me. Her name is Lindsay. And I didn't really notice Lindsay had told that trip before that. I was hanging out with most of my guy friends. But she sat next to me. And uh, Lindsay was cute. Uh, and I remember we were driving home, and I was like, ooh, girl, she's nice to me. Okay. This <laughs> um, She's cute. And we were driving, and we're like, oh, everybody's talking and having fun. And it comes out that moment on a youth trip, on a bus, driving home, when, like, nighttime comes, right? And it's like the bus gets dark. And you flip on the movie on the bus. 
Boss, right? Uh, remember the movie they put on Princess Bride? Remember Lindsay? Yeah! applause in my life for mentioning a movie. I'm going to start every talk with Princess Bride! Good. And then she, she leaned over, you're going to cheer her now. She leaned over and said, this is my favorite movie. Yeah! And I, I totally pretended, me too! You know, um, I'd seen it before, whatever. So we were watching Princess Bride for good, and uh, I was like, oh, he's cool, and like, this is, I, call, I call it the phenomenon bus love. When, like, it's not ever somebody in real life that you'd ever, like, kind of have a crush on, but because they're sitting next to in a bus for 12 hours, you're like, hey. Um, and um, she started to, like, she started to scoot up to me, and, like, our arms started to touch. And like, Whoa! Our biceps are touching. Holy cow. And then, and then this thing, it was towards the end of the movie, and people started to fall asleep on the bus, and this, this moment happened. She put her head on my shoulder. Oh. Big timer. I set that all up by just sitting there. Um, and then, and then the, movie, the movie turns off, and the whole bus goes dark, and it's quiet. I remember at some point in the middle of the night, like I'm sitting on my sleep, I remember one I, I felt that thing where her hand grabbed my hand on the bus. Score! <laughs> I don't know her last name yet, but we're all and score! Uh, and the reason I tell that story uh, is because of what happened for the next two years. Uh, because I, this was this transitional moment in my life where I'd heard about Jesus, and I really understood who he was, and I, in a way that I'd never experienced before, just been filled with the joy of getting to know him more and living for him. And right in that moment, Something came into my life that took, was a threat to my joy and passion and zeal being in Jesus. And so I come home, and instead of jumping into, okay, man, my youth leader told me to start just reading the book of John. That's awesome. And then my other youth leader, he told me to start praying this way. That's cool. I was so pumped. And I said I got home, and I was like, when's Lindsay going to call? Again, guys, I'm not, this is going to make it sound like relationships are evil. I'm not saying that. But in this moment, <laughs> Princess Bride relationships are evil, yeah! Let's um, pray! Uh, but, but really, I, I remember being, I remember coming home and, and to be honest, my Bible didn't open it out of my bag. And when I took it out of my bag, it sat on my, it sat on my uh, bedside table for months. And all this momentum I had, to, to throw myself into what it meant to love the Lord was suddenly distracted by, I'm not going to say by a girl, but was distracted by my need and my, the lie that I needed a girlfriend. I dated Lindsay for two years. And so fast forward to my, somewhere after my junior year in high school, after I had been dating her and pouring my whole life and identity and purpose and joy and fun into this relationship, my my relationship with Christ, the joy that I wanted my relationship with Christ leaving that camp, just sort of stalled. Right? I'm not saying you can't be in a relationship in high school and not grow in Christ. You can. But in my situation, I didn't. And that Bible sat there for two years. I didn't really learn anything about the Bible in high school during that time. So much of my joy was found in this relationship. 
junior year, we break up. She breaks up with me because she did something really stupid. I, I remember that night when I found out about this. I remember I grabbed her homecoming picture that was in this like that fancy nice frame. I remember punching it. It was a glass frame. I remember punching it, and my hand started to bleed. Uh, and I ripped up the picture. Took the picture out. I ripped it up and threw it down. In this picture of us after we broke up. I remember falling to my knees, weeping, in tears and blood, literally laying in my own brokenness of my own idol that I had built. And it was the first time I had prayed in months, and I just said, God, why? Why did I ever allow my heart to move away from you and for you to be the true joy? I didn't use the word true joy in my life, but essentially that's what I was praying. And I had sadness and repentance over this threat. Again, girls aren't threats, not what I'm saying. But this threat to joy in my life. You're going to go home. The speaker said I was a threat. Um, this threat to joy in my life. And why, why did that happen? Well, this is what was going through my mind at the time. Man, everybody else is dating. And I, I mean, I, I'm a Christian now. It would, it would put it all together if I was a Christian and I had a cool, awesome Christian girlfriend. What am I missing? If, if I just get a girlfriend, then I will have full happiness in my life as a high school student. If I don't have a girlfriend, then I'm missing something and, and I'm not going to be fully happy. Because we're talking about joy all week. And I, I truly, genuinely believe that we don't actually believe Jesus will, will bring us deep, durable goodness oftentimes in our lives. So when we don't believe that Jesus will bring us joy, we're definitely going to go find it somewhere else. We're definitely going to go search for it in other places. Tonight, we're going to look at six things that I'm going to call um, threats to joy. And I'm going to call it joy disrupted. And tonight's going to be a little bit different because this is going to be a little bit of a discussion, right? It's going to feel a little bit more like a conversation as we walk through these six things. And I'm sure there's more, but for tonight, these six things that um, we've been talking about internally, how do we pursue joy, calibrate our hearts for joy. Now we're going to talk about things outside of ourselves and within ourselves that are deep threats to, to disrupting joy in our lives. And one of the reasons I wanted to do that as I read through Philippians is this moment where Paul says in Philippians 3, we're not spending a lot of time on this, but Paul says this, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. We've looked at that verse like six times this week. But then after that, he says, To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, is what he says. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, in this specific instance, Paul's talking about this group called the Judaizers, who are essentially saying, I don't really, really know Christ. You've got to circumcise yourself. If you don't, then you don't really know Christ. And that's not what we're focused on tonight. What I'm focused on here, the theme of this, is the launch pad, is, is remember, Paul's encouraging people to pursue joy, and he's also encouraging them to be careful, to look out, to look outside of themselves at things that, that could be thieves of their joy, things that could disrupt their joy and steal their joy from them. The lesson tonight is joy isn't just something you cultivate but it's something that we must protect and take care of and guard. Things we have to look out for. So we're going to look at six of these. And I'm going to ask questions of you guys for how you've experienced these threats and what does it mean for us to defend against these threats to joy. And I've decided to use some memes to draw these out. Just The first one I want to look at is uh, an age-old one. FOMO, friends. There's the emperor doing his thing. 
let the FOMO flow through you, right? FOMO is the, is the second cousin of YOLO, right? Um, and FOMO is this reality of, of the fear of missing out, right? And I believe that this thing is something we laugh about, we joke about, oh, you're having FOMO. Yeah, it's true, it's fun to laugh about. But I believe that, that it's this, this reality, especially in the presence of social media, that is a genuine threat to our joy in Christ. Uh, and here's why. We're going to talk about this parable a little bit more later on. But part of this parable that Jesus tells in, in Luke chapter 12 says this. Uh, and he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And in this situation, he's talking about materialism. He's talking about, he's talking about stuff. But he's talking about this reality of covetousness, which is this, this sinful temptation in our lives to say, he's got that, I want that. Or in FOMO's case, they're having that experience. I'm missing out on that experience. I'm missing out on what they're doing. And it's making me feel inadequate. It's making me feel like I don't have enough. What if we're missing out on true joy somewhere else? As a Christian who's pursuing a life, living in holiness to Christ, if you ever thought the question, what if I'm missing out on a better style of life? We watch our friends in high school, or our friends outside of, of, of our schools, and we look at what they're doing and we say, is that better? It seems like more fun than maybe what I'm doing. Or we look at other people's social media pictures, right? Like, oh, wow, all, my, all those people got together, why wasn't I invited? And we're unhappy. If the experience that we have with other people in life becomes this goal that if we don't get it, we can't be fully content, right? is what FOMO teaches us. We, sit, we look at other people's social media profiles, what they're doing, we hear about these stories, and we say, that sounds better than what I'm doing. And we begin to covet these experiences and events and things that they're doing. It, it happens in college, too. For you seniors, one of these, I work with college students, and one of the phenomenons that I've heard back from college students when they get really real with me is essentially this. College folks go crazy and kind of live the, I want to do whatever I want life in college, because what's behind that is I have to maximize my joy, happiness, and pleasure now because after college I'm not going to get it. Or I'm going to miss out on having the classic college experience. And if I don't get that, then I'm going to be missing something in my life. Fear of missing out, right? My life will be boring after this time, so I've got to live it up. That's, that's where YOLO really is a distant cousin or a very close cousin to FOMO. What's the heart behind? It's this. The fear that if my life is defined and centered in Jesus, if my joy is in Jesus, it won't be as good as fill in the blank. Right? It's doubting that my life being fulfilled in Jesus and my joy being in Jesus really won't be good enough. It won't be better. Right? And so FOMO attacks this, this fear that we have that it's not going to be good enough. I love uh, the youth leaders are going to get this. You, you folks in youth ministry are going to get this. There's a classic moment in like youth group meetings where somebody walks in when you have like a pizza party or whatever, and somebody walks in every time in the back door. Like, where is everybody? Anybody had that? Youth leaders, anybody get that? Like, oh, okay, cool. I'm the only one. Never mind. Uh, thank you, Ethan. Um, but somebody, and this happens at parties in high school. They're like, where is everybody? What's behind where is everybody? It's, it's this. Is, is there something going on better than this? Really is what, what people are saying. And I think of that as, it's funny to laugh about, but there's something deep inside there that's like, 
I'm not content and satisfied with who I am and what I'm doing. I've got to covet after somebody else's. And if I don't have that, then it's not enough. So my question for you is this. How do you, this is going to take a little vulnerability, how do you experience FOMO? Uh, when does it kick in? How does it show up in your everyday life? This, this fear of missing out, this fear of, ah, what if there's something better out there? How does that show up? When does that show up in your life? Love to hear from a couple people, yeah. said something really profound that we're going to get into in a moment, which is when I'm not doing anything, I feel really anxious. Who's ever felt that way? Raise your hand. Um, I was going to bring this up later, but it makes sense to bring it up now. Um, most sociologists, you know, cultural studies show that your, your, your generation is maybe the most anxious generation in history. And I think this idea that we're talking about with FOMO, we're going to talk about later with, with this comparison thing, is wise, even when we're sitting and resting and enjoying ourselves, being bored can be really good sometimes for us. Our minds are taught to say, but what, what's everybody else doing? Why is that? Because we're used to doing this with our fingers and cycling through a screen and seeing what everybody else is doing. And so even if we're just chilling and saying, I'm resting, I'm relaxing, I'm having fun, this is nice, I'm, I'm, I'm not, my mind's not spinning, we're actually anxious back here, because, but what if there's something going on on social media that I don't know about, that I need to hear about, see about, or be a part of? And that puts a low-grade, constant anxiety in the back of your brains, right? But most funny to laugh about, but it's having a psychological effect on your generation. And it's, it's a joy stealer for you. So before we move on to the second one, anybody else, when, when and where does FOMO show up for you? What brings it out? Anybody else? Not working. Not working. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I've kind of waited to work for money, so mm -hmm. it kind of stresses me out every once in a while. Okay. Okay. I should be doing something. I should be I'm not not doing anything is not enough. I need to be doing something. Anybody else? How do you experience FOMO? It's crazy to me that a whole room full of teenagers are like, ah experience it. Go. Yes, absolutely. The reason that they're doing more is because they're better than you, and we're going to get to that in a, something called a comparison threat. Usually when you experience FOMO, it's not positive for your identity and your, your contentment and satisfaction in Christ. It stirs you up to say something's not enough, right? And that's negative with FOMO. Uh, the next one I want to look at, the next threat I want to look at is what I call the mirage threat. For some of you SpongeBob people. It's an illusion, right? Uh, in, in James, it says this. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there, we'll trade, make a profit. In other words, come now, you people that say, hey, I'm going to get there, I'm going to do that, we're going to make this happen, and then we're going to be good. Then it's going to be awesome. Once we make that plan work, everything's going to work out. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring, says verse 14. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time, and then... Vanishes. This is the mirage threat to our joy. 
You guys know what a mirage is? A mirage is actually a, a thing that happens, especially in deserts, where if somebody's in the desert, it can happen two different ways. Somebody's in the desert and they're, they're, they're not hydrated properly, they begin to see things. They begin to see things to bring them hope. That if I get to that, they hallucinate. If I get to that, then I will be good. But it's actually this physical occurrence, too, that happens with the way the heat comes out the desert. And you guys see this on pavement sometimes, too. Where if you're at a certain level, and you see the heat waves come off the, the desert, the, the desert, the desert <laughs> um, it can look like a pool of water. And what your mind does in that moment is say, if I can just get to that pool of water, I'm going to survive. And it does something to your brain, if I can just get to that point. But the thing about a mirage is it's not there. So you keep moving, and even though you're driven by if I can just get there, that thing, that there, never actually arrives. You never get to that spot, right? So the mirage thread is this. Um, if I can just get to that point in my life, if I can just achieve that thing, if I can just get to that spot, then I'm going to be good. Do you see me or some of you are like, if I can just get to college and just get away from my parents, then I'm going to be able to be happy. I'm so stressed out. Once I get to that spot, then it's going to be good. The mirage thread is a lie. The definite object mirage is the definition is this. Something that appears real or possible, but is not in fact so. So in other words, whenever you feel, if I can just get to blank, then I'll be good or fine or happy, that is not actually so. So what are examples of this in high school? What are some examples of things like, if I could just blank, then I'd be a lot better off. Right, right, right here. The way you look, you'll yes. never be good enough. Right. If I could just be as pretty as that person, or if I could just finally look that way, as presented in that TV show or advertisement or whatever, then I would feel so much better about myself and be, be, be good. Right here. Great. If I could just get this GPA, right? If I could just get this grade in this class. God, we've all had that problem. God, if you just let me get this grade on this test, I promise you I'll be cool with you forever, right? Uh, it's, it's a picture of the mirage thing, right? You, you have one? Well, I was going to say, like what you said earlier about I've been waiting to go to college to get a wish from my parents. Yeah. It's funny to know that it's helpless now. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Tony, you're talking about me really hopeless. Sorry. But no, like, if I can just get away, if I can get... Really what that is, if I can just move on to the next stage of my life, yeah. if I can just get to high school, just get to college, guess what, folks? That keeps going, right? It keeps going, and that's hard. Don't feel hopeless, but that, that I'll be good if I get to that point is a lie, right here. Popularity. Popularity. If I can just get in with that group, I feel good. I feel insecure coming to school, but if I was friends with those people, I'd come to school feeling great every day, right? So popularity, status, image is one, right here. Yeah, so for some of us, specific things, like your interest, if I could just get to that level of my specific interest and in your situation, get a role in the show or the play, then I'll just feel good. Right? I'll be happy the rest of the semester. Sure you will. But that's how it feels. That's how it feels. Be right here. Yeah. I love this sport, but if I could just get more playing time, if I could just become a starter, if I could just catch a touchdown in that game, man, I'd be content then. Then I'd be content. Then it would be enough. Then it would be enough is almost always a lie in our minds. But man, do we feel it a lot. A couple more. This is good. I could just not be a freshman. I could just not be a freshman. Oh, that's... Uh, <laughs> it makes me sad. Please hear that. Also, for the next speaker, we hear some of you. If I could just not be a sophomore next year. 
Right? Um, but yeah, it's that thing if I could just, just not be where I'm at now, things would be good. Right here? Yeah. If I could just get on such and such a team, then I'd be in with a certain people and I would have that status and role. Man, I'd feel good then, right? Everything would be good then. Right here? You're like helping me hand up. <laughs> if I could just get a better time at a 5K. Get a better time at a 5K. So a goal that you're pursuing, is it a good thing to pursue Pursue that? Yes, it's good to pursue goals in that way. But to think, but if I just get to that goal, then again, then I'll be satisfied. That's, that's dangerous, right? A few others that I wrote down. If I just date somebody, that's my story. If I could just finally have a girlfriend, then I'll feel good about myself. How about this one? This one's a little, cuts a little bit deeper. If my body just looked that way, if I could just fit into that size jeans, if my muscles were just a little bit bigger, man, I can just sit in our minds and stay there. Why is this a threat to true joy? Tell me this. I want to hear from you guys. Why is the mirage, if I can just this, why is that a threat to joy in your life? Feeling joy. Yeah, right here. Because you'll never be content because you never actually get there. It's always that next thing. And therefore, you're always striving without ever arriving and doing what we talked about last night, which is resting in what's already been done, which is the work of Christ, right? Why else is it a threat to joy, this mirage threat? Yeah. Well, you're actually training your brain to just need to move on to the next thing, right? And this is what happens with drug addicts, right? Drug addicts, like, just get one more hit, then I'll be good, right? And it's actually training your brain to think, if I can just blank, and that just goes your entire life. And that. So one more here, yeah. Literally, my note that I wrote right after this question is, because usually the mirage threat is always aimed, and I want you to hear this, always aimed at something other than God. Because here's the thing. We have all the fullness and goodness of who God is completely right now. All the promises of God are already fulfilled in Jesus Christ right now for us. There is no striving towards them. But with, with the mirage threat, usually we're always aiming at something other than God. And therefore, it's never achieved. Also, the mirage threat's a lie. That's why it's a threat to your joy. It's a lie. Think of Paul. Paul's writing this book, this letter, uh, while he's in jail, right? He's in prison. He doesn't have anything to look to. His life is not like, if I can just get out of jail, you don't hear that from Paul. I can just get out of these bars, and I'll be free, and then everything will be good in my life. No. He's content where he is, because he's not buying into the mirage threat. If I can just get to that next point. So the mirage threat is another one. Uh, this one's an interesting one. It cuts to the self-pity threat. There's old grumpy cat. We love grumpy cat, right? Pity party of one. Your table in the rain. Um, the self-pity threat is one that I actually come across a lot with high school ministry that I've been doing recently. I've seen a lot of folks with self-pity. And what do I mean by that? Uh, well, a couple of stories that, that draw this out from the Bible. One of them is Jonah. You guys know the story of Jonah? God says, yo, Jonah, go to Nineveh. He's like, sure, okay, fine, whatever. I'm trying to run from you, and that'll be okay. And he goes to Nineveh, and he preaches the gospel, and he's like, okay, here we go. And the Ninevites all come to know the Lord, right? They, they, they repent. 
And it's crazy, this crazy moment where he goes reluctantly, they, they, they turn, and then Jonah's ticked about it. All these people that are these, this rebellious city is mad about it, and what does Jonah do? He camps out and is like, literally, I mean literally he goes, oh God, I know that you're merciful and good. Ugh. And therefore I know that these people are going to be saved. And, it's, uh, and he says this, Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And this is one of my favorite God lines in the Bible. Do you do well to be angry? <laughs> he just challenges them, right? He chal- now, I'm not saying that we don't have moments where we're sad about things in our lives. Or we don't have moments where we're angry about things. But Jonah's gone to this level of just like self-pities. Woe is me. I had to share the gospel and convert people that I didn't want to. And what is it? It's not, he's just looking at himself. There's another story very similar, actually, of this guy named Elijah. Similar but different. Elijah in the Old Testament. Uh, this this uh, lady named Jezebel basically finds out that Elijah's been like crushing it for God, essentially. And then he hears this, this news that Jezebel's coming for him. And he gets scared. And Elijah's like, literally says the same thing to him. Uh, generally, he literally sits under this tree, just like Jonah did. It was like, God, can I just die? I'm scared of this Jezebel girl. She's coming after me. I just want to die. And, and what does he do? He's wallowing in self-pity a bit. And what does God do for him that instance? He actually gives him this magical bread that comes out of nowhere and feeds him and restores him and gives him the strength, right? But we have this tendency to go inward on ourselves and say, oh, woe is me. What's happening then? We're accepting that we feel rejected in a moment, and we begin this cycle of feeling sorry for myself, nobody understands me, and what happens, those are okay feelings to have, nobody understands me, I feel rejected, I feel sorry, those are okay feelings to have, but we ruminate on them so much that they become our identity. We begin to say, not, I'm experiencing rejection, but I am the rejected, right? We, we don't, right now I don't feel enough to, I am never enough. And when that when it happens, we're rejecting joy and we're letting our worst things define us when we enter into this place of self-pity. We're inward and we're negative and we're letting the worst things about ourselves define ourselves. And when we're, this is the deal, when we're defined by our worst things, inside and out, what are we doing? We're denying our new identity. When you're saying, I am the one who never gets called, I am the one that nobody likes, my identity is the person who's never enough, it puts you in a place where you have to reject. No, my identity is that I'm a new creation in Christ. And my identity is somebody that's been equipped with the spiritual gifts. And my identity is somebody who's been called to live in the kingdom of God. Your heart and mind aren't there. Your heart and mind are on the worst things about yourself. Now, we need to be aware of our weaknesses, sure. But when we let them define us and become our identity, it robs us of joy. Think of these characters, right? Sadness, sadness and inside out. We talked about her earlier. She's kind of always the one who's a little bit down. And she plays a role in that movie. And any one of the poop bands, what about Eeyore, right? Eeyore. I love Eeyore, but the dude has a self-pity problem, right? He's a little bit of a bummer. Any Narnia fans? We got Puddle Glum. And Puddle Glum, I mean, he's a cool dude, but at one point literally he says, Puddle Glum's my name, but it doesn't matter if you forget it. It's literally what Puddle Glum says. And these are pictures, and Lewis wrote that character in there as a little bit of a window of how it inhibits us from finding joy when we're always looking at ourselves and our own weaknesses all the time and feeling sorry for ourselves. Self-pity robs us of joy. 
So I want you to hear this too. This is really important for me. I, I, I struggle with, with insecurity. Okay? It's one of my biggest spiritual themes of my whole life is I struggle with insecurity. I struggle with what do people think of me? My guess is people don't probably like me or approve of me. But I've been wrestling with that my whole life. I still do. And I've learned in that journey that it's good for me to, be, to come to terms with my weaknesses and failures, right? But it's about what I do with my acknowledgement of weaknesses and failures that matter. If what I do is just camp there and sit on my weaknesses and failures, if when I feel rejected or left out, if I just sit there and say, this is who I am, then it takes me away from joy. Paul, in Romans 7, it's one of my favorite passages. I shared it with a student last night. Paul has this moment in Romans 7 that is so wrong when he says, I keep doing the things that I don't want to do. And the things that I, that I do want to do, I don't do those things. And he literally gets to this point where he says this, wretched man that I am. He calls himself wretched. Don't actually raise your hands, but how many of you have come to a place in your life where you're like, I'm worthless and I'm wretched and nobody, if they really knew who I was, could ever actually love or approve me. My guess is a few of you would raise your hands and say, I've been there. Maybe many of you. We all get to that point, it's okay. And Christ comes to us and embraces us in that moment, but also calls us out of it through him, instead of leaving us there. And in that moment when Paul says, wretched man that I am, you know what he says? Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to Jesus Christ. In his self-pity, or the temptation to self-pity, he turns to something else, which is Jesus Christ to bring him out of it. And he doesn't let his identity sit there. So I want to go to this question real quick. What brings us to a place of self-pity? What gets us to that inward, I can't even look out here, I'm so bad, I'm so whatever. What takes us to that place of self-pity? Yeah. Sometimes it's after our life, or death. Yeah. Sometimes just bad things happen to us. Elijah's story is that bad things happen to us, we just feel shut down. That's definitely one. Yeah, right? When you screw up real bad. Yeah, when you screw up real bad. We're going to get to Satan in a minute, but Satan's like, this is my opportunity to convince this guy that that screw up, that defines him. And then we get in this self-pity thrill where we can't get out of it. Anybody else? What brings us to a place of self-pity? Yeah, right here. You're going to see really quickly with that comment, too, but a lot of these are related, right? These aren't all on an island. It's like the FOMO threat, the mirage threat, the self-pity threat. They all overlap each other. Did you have your hand up? Yeah, I was going to say, like, um, self-hatred is another thing. Yeah. I struggle a lot with that. Yeah. Like, not liking things about yourself. That's common. It's also obscenely dangerous. And it's why we need Jesus and his identity in us, right? I'm going to move on to the next one. Um, this is the fourth one. This is the comparison threat, which is going to be similar to a lot of what people were talking about earlier. Here's Kermit. Good Kermit, bad Kermit. Good Kermit. I shouldn't compare myself with others. Bad Kermit. Look at all these prettier, smarter, and richer people. Right? And we do that. And this is where I'm going to dig into social media for you guys. Um, first, I'm going to talk about the story in, and you guys know the story, uh, in Genesis with Cain and Abel, right? Essentially, what's the Cain and Abel story all about? God blesses Abel's sacrifice. Cain looks over and is like, why didn't you do that to mine? And he compares himself to Abel, and it drives Cain to a place of murder. 
comparison between him and his brother drove him to deep, deep levels of sin. A theologian that I like just said it very bluntly. Comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. In your guys' generation, there's a few things that are skyrocketing right now. If you look at any study, uh, a few things are skyrocketing. I've already mentioned a couple. Anxiety is skyrocketing in your generation, right? Stress and anxiety, like clinical people going into doctors to be to be seen for anxiety, is skyrocketing in your generation. Another thing I've talked about it already: depression is skyrocketing in your generation. And deeper than that, those things are leading to another statistic that's that's going up, which is suicide. Right? This is a whirlwind. That's happening. And there's lots of reasons amongst young people that these things are skyrocketing. It's a multifaceted, uh, complex reality of why these things are skyrocketing. Skyrocketing, but lots of reasons. But many folks think this that one of the primary contributors is this. Now, I'm not saying that we should all go down in a ceremony after this and throw our bones in the river. Right? It's not what I'm suggesting. Let's do it! Okay. <laughs> but you are, so let's go. No. I'm not going to say let's all chuck our phones in the river um, or go back to like, or go back to analog phones in our homes only. Right? That's not what I'm saying. Um, but what I am saying is this, is that we have a device in our pocket. We have a device that's literally always within a reach of our hand that at any given moment lights up, lets us do this with our thumb, and it gives us a comparison Ferris wheel 24-7. Snapchat, Instagram, for those of you that are still on Facebook, Facebook. Um, my parents are there, I'm getting off. Um, but all these, this, I mean literally the way that it's actually structured, social media, where you do this with your thumb, and there's literally just like a pinwheel that just spins. In our minds, like, oh, this is neat. I'm catching up with my friends and seeing what they're doing. But what's really happening in your brain is saying, wow, she looks good in a swimsuit. Why don't I look that good? Oh, man, those guys all got together, and they're my friends, and they didn't tell me about it. Why did that happen? Holy smokes, that person is going to do that really awesome, cool thing in Colorado, and I'm not. My life's not as fun as theirs. Now, guys, I'll, I'll confession time. I posted stuff on Instagram while I've been here at the mountains. I haven't posted on Instagram in like two months. And there's part of this probably like, I oh, man, I want my friends to do that in the balance, right? And that game is played out on our phones in front of us 24-7. I took a, I took a group to a youth group, uh, to, a, to a mission trip a long time ago. We said, no phones. And a girl cried in her plane because her snap streak was going to get broken. <laughs> it's funny. It's really sad. It's really, really sad when our joy is that connected that we're shedding tears over these things, right? Why is, somebody tell me, why is comparison so dangerous? Why is comparing ourselves to others such a dangerous game to play? Right here. It can lead to hatred. It can lead to hatred. It can lead to us being stirred to, not just saying, oh, I wish I was like that person, to I wish that person was out of my life because of the way they make me feel. All right, so that's what we have right here. You feel like God's blessing that person more than he's blessing you and he's giving them a better deal. It relates to God. It begins to turn theological. Like, God, why did they have it that way? God, why were those people gifted with those looks and I wasn't? Right here? Yeah. That's a great one. So, so I deal with insecurity. 
people people come up to me all the time. You guys know Enneagram stuff? Do you guys know Enneagram or Myers-Briggs? I mean, people come up to me like, I can't figure out your Enneagram. Like, are you a four, a seven, a six, a 12? I don't know. And, I, I, and, and really one of the things that, that I answer, or what I realize is I'm kind of a chameleon because I'm willing to change myself to appease the people around me, right? Or in order to try to be like people so I don't feel like I have to compare myself to them. And that, that feels good for the moment. Oh, look, I look as strong as that guy. I'm always, I'm on, a, I'm on a wheel, right? And that can be really, really hard. I saw a hand up over here. Yeah. There's always somebody bigger, stronger, better looking, whatever, than you are. And if you get into the comparison thread, that comparison is always there to be made, right? Um, I'm not trying to be legalistic here, guys. I'm not trying to say comparison thread comes only from our phones. But some of you need to get off Instagram and Snapchat. And I can see the, the thought bubbles above you of like, yeah, sure, Tony. I've talked to kids that have done it. I've talked to kids that have done it, and not all of them, I'm not gonna lie, not all of them. But many of them come to me a week, two later, and they get back on it eventually. Or say, my life feels so different. And I feel like there's a weight that I didn't know was there that is gone because I haven't let myself for two weeks look at Snapchat. Right? There's something that is lifted from them when they feel that way. Um, I, I, know, I know a kid that, that was so driven by his social media status and other things that happened on his cell phone that in a conversation with a youth leader was so overcome that he took his phone and just dropped it into a pitcher of water. And he said, I have to do this because I know that if I just try hard, it's not going to work. There's some of us that need to think about, do I need a break from that in order to detach my brain from this comparison wheel? A couple more and then we're going to close. The worldly success threat, Right? The worldly success threat. This one's a little bit easier to say, but it goes back to that parable that we started with. By the way, that kid's like 18 years old now. Isn't that weird? I thought memes just stayed the same age the whole time. Um, There's nothing to do with my talk. Okay, um, so in Luke 12, in Luke 12, we have the story of, of uh, these guys coming to Jesus. This dude comes to Jesus. This is a funny story. He comes to Jesus like, hey, Jesus, will you tell my brother to give me half of his inheritance? And Jesus is like, Dude, I'm not that kind of guy. I'm not doing that kind of stuff for you, essentially. And then he tells him a parable, right? And the parable is this. There was a guy who, who got a lot, who, who, a farmer who made so much. He got all these crops. And essentially, this, this farmer was like, what am I going to do with all this extra stuff I've got? I'm going to build these huge silos, and I'm going to put these huge barns. I'm just going to store it all away so that I can say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, be merry. Um... And, and God said to him, fool, he plays on the fact that he uses a silly term about say to my soul. Uh, and God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Guys, it's not wrong to pursue success and accomplish things in life. It's actually really good. But be careful. The Bible doesn't say that, that money is the root of all evil. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. For you and your age, age and stage, you probably got money in your bank account, but it might be the brands of clothes that you're wearing to school and people are noticing. It might be the kind of shoes that you got on. It might be the level, how the newest phone that's out. It might be the iPad that you have, the TV that you have. Not, it's not bad to have those things. But when our love and our status... When our identity is born in those things, it becomes a problem. 
and this is the bigger thing about this, what this parable is saying, is where your joy is placed is a soul issue. That's why, that's why Paul says it's a command to have joy. Because he knows that joy isn't just a side dish. Joy literally is a soul issue. Your soul is at stake when it comes to your joy. I, I want you to go home with that, guys. Of, oh, do we talk about joy? I hope I can get that in life. It's not, I hope I can get that in life. It's not that I hope that I get there. It's my soul is in the balance when it comes to these things. His, his inability to give up worldly success was a soul issue. My last question for you is, where do you, in your life right now, feel the temptation and pull towards worldly success? towards the needing to, to go upward mobility and to succeed and obtain things. Where do you feel the pressure of, I have to do that, I need to do that? Where does that, some of us have already thrown out grades uh, and academic achievements. What are some other ones where worldly success is a, is a pressure for you? Yeah, right here. Like, you'll have friends that are, you know, Yeah, you have friends that have whether money or just objects. And you can say as a Christian, well, I know that that stuff doesn't really matter. But man, when you're looking at, watching, when you're in your friend's house and looking around, it really does seem like it matters, right? That's a sign of what our souls are attached to. Other, other folks, where, where do you spell the pressure of, of that? Like that one right. The dude that wins the lottery. And that, that, that goes back to... To the mirage. Story. If I won the lottery, God, I'd be good, right? Uh, that's a lie. It's a lie, right? Other people where worldly success kind of pressures you or, or talks to you, right here. Um, like feeling like you have to get like Well, status in general, worldly success is, equates with status. And if I go to this type of college, 